But before we get started, I want to share a little bit about my story. You know, most of you guys know my story, but I'm going to share some of my story. So I actually grew up several blocks away from Queruso Grace, so right on Common Street. And when I grew up in this neighborhood back in the 80s, kind of tells my age a little bit there, you know, but, but what, what we saw was, we, man, we were very poor. Like, I didn't know it at the time because as a kid, you don't know what poor and rich is, right? You have no idea. And so I remember growing up and, man, I remember for dinner at times, all we would have was just some beans and rice because that's all my parents could afford. And I remember there was like eight of us living in one house at one time. And so we were extremely poor. I remember like seeing, you know, cockroaches all over the place because that's all my dad could afford is this broken down, run down apartment, this house that he can rent out this one room in this house. And so that was normal for us. So I grew up, we grew very, very poor. And as I was working through this text, the Lord was just speaking to my heart through, these, through the pages and, and just reminding me of, of, of my insecurities. And what I, saw, what I began to see was this. The reason why I'm always trying to accumulate more money and store more money away is because I have the fear of security. I have the idle security. I'm placing my trust and my hope in my money. So, so though I may have money here in my bank account, I have something else saved away, but I'm putting more hope on that what I got stored away. And I began to look back on my past. I'm like, because I grew up poor, that's the reason why I deal with that idol of security. Why I worry so much about money. Because see, in my mind, I thought greed was just wanting more possessions, more money, more things. And I'm like, I don't got that problem. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll splurge on myself every once in a while. You know, like my wife would tell you, my wardrobe is pretty much consistent. Y'all see me up here Sunday. You know, I don't really don't buy a lot of clothes for myself. But when I do go out, buy stuff, I'll buy myself, you know, several shirts, several pants at one time. And in my mind, I'm like, I'm not greedy. I like to give what I have out. But when I started to see that greed itself is not just accumulation of possessions, but greed itself is when you worry about money when you're anxious about how much money you have. And also growing up, I realized why I struggle with power and control. Because see, the week of Christmas growing up, we were robbed. And I actually, I wanted, I wanted to hear this story again from my dad because you know how as a kid you have memories of what, what you think things are? And then you ask your parents, hey, what, what, what really happened? So I asked my dad yesterday, you know, just to kind of confirm the story. And he's like, yeah, he's like, we walk in the house and we have been out all day long. And then he's like, you or your brother began to cry because the house was completely turned upside down. They took all the presents. They took the furniture. They took everything. And he's like, he's like, you know, he's like, in my mind, I knew that we could, we could, we could make it back. But the crazy part, and I didn't know this. I just found this out yesterday. They came back the next day and they robbed us again. And they stole even the dishes. And so my dad's telling me this over the phone. And he's like, he's like, that's what broke me. He's like, when they stole the dishes, he's like, man, they took everything. And for my dad to say something like that, my dad's always been this super strong, macho guy. I got it together. Man, we're going to make it through it no matter what happens. But, but I, I began to see why I struggle with power and control 
Because see, my dad, when we moved into the house, you know, we moved to, he put all these burglar bars up. And he would always worry about people robbing us. And so I grew up in that. But the reason why I'm bringing this up is because when we look through this text, we're going to see the heart of a greedy man. And what we're going to point out through this text is that the greed, the love of his money is just a surface idol. But every surface idol has a deeper root. So let's go to the text and let's read from verse 21 through 41. Now after these these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and to go to Jerusalem, saying, after I've been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Horatius, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. About that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. This is where the trouble begins. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. You see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is danger. Look how he tries to manipulate them. He's trying to stir something up in their hearts. There is danger not only in that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess of Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be disposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. And he finishes his statement, and look what happens. When they heard this, they were enraged. Their anger boiled. They were enraged and were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So the city was filled with the confusion, and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Articus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him. And even some of, of the Aratius, who were friends of his, sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. Now some cried out one thing, some another. Notice all the confusion that's happened on, that's going on. They don't even know what's going on. For the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. Wow. Some of the crowd prompted Alexander, that means they wanted him to go to Ford, whom the Jews had put forward, and Alexander, motioning with his hands, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, for about two hours, they all cried out with one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And when the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, who is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is a temple keeper of the great Artemis and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky? Seeing that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. 
For you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. If therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open and there are pro-councils. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly. For we are really in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we ask, Lord, as we go in this text, Lord, Lord, that we know that your word is active and living, Lord. So we ask, Father God, that in the name of Jesus, Lord, that you would use this text, Lord, to speak to our hearts. Not only to speak to our hearts, but that you would transform our hearts. And not only would you transform our hearts, but that you would reveal to our hearts, oh God, the things that we've been looking to, holding to, Lord, that are not you. Lord, lead us to a place of repentance, Lord, to look upon you, Lord, as you being the greatest treasure above everything else. Lead us and teach us through your Holy Spirit, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So look, this is what we see in the text. The message that, we'll, that Paul was preaching, it was exposing the idols of the culture. I want you to turn over with me to several chapters to the left, which is going to be Acts 17, verse 29. Acts chapter 17, verse 29. This is what the word of the Lord says. This is Paul and the Aragopas teaching. Being then God's offspring, we not ought to think that the divine being is like silver or is not like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by art and imagination of man. We have to understand when Paul preached and taught this, what you see is that he's telling them, listen, you've been worshiping all these idols and these idols have no power. They're made from your hands. They're made from your hands. They're created in what you make them to be. They hold no power. They are lifeless. They are dead. And this is what he's communicating to them. And the message in which Paul was teaching and preaching, because remember in Acts 17, where he's at, he's in a prominent city proclaiming the gospel in the way people understand it. And he makes a direct frontal assault on the idols of the culture. That's what we see. And two things we can take from this in, in Acts chapter 19. Immediately we see that idols are actual things people would worship. There is little small figurines that they would put inside their houses. I meant to get the image downloaded, but I didn't have a chance to put it. But when you get a chance, just Google search Artemis. And you'll see this lady, and she has all these breasts covering her because she was the goddess of fertility. Her name was Diana. So we see that this silversmith, Demetrius, is the guy who's manufacturing these. He's a manufacturer. He makes them, and he sells them. He makes his wealth from these idols. 
Today we think to ourselves that idols are just figurines or maybe a saint or a statue people worship or maybe a goddess or several other gods that people worship. But when we read Ezekiel chapter 14, verse 3, the Lord tells Ezekiel that the men of Israel have placed the idols in their hearts. Why is that important to know? Because as we read Acts 19, we're going to see something surface up. The issue that we're seeing is actually going to be greed, the love of money. But that surface idol has deeper roots. Idols are not just things made by hands. I forgot who said it, but someone said, an idol can be anything. And an idol has been at one time everything to someone. We can worship anything. And a lot of times we do. But specifically what I want to target on today is greed. And before I get into greed, I have to make this very clear so we all know. There's nothing wrong with making money. There's nothing wrong by earning a living by your profession. You should never feel the weight of condemnation that you make too much money. If the Lord has blessed you with that, then praise God. If you make enough just to get by, then praise God, because either one of those God provides where you're at for a specific reason, and he's provided all your needs. There's nothing wrong with how much you earn. There's nothing wrong with money. But the problem is when we start to elevate money in the place of God, Because what we see here in this text is that there's this surface root idol that Demetrius gathers these people. And look at what he does. Verse 24. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business. He made a lot of money, in other words. Look at verse 25. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades. Now he's gathering people who do the same kind of line of work, who also make their wealth from this. He's gathering like-minded people. And what you're starting to see is, man, this guy must have some kind of, you know, people must know him. He has to be known for people to come and listen to this guy and say, hey, you know what? I'm getting everybody together. So because this guy, Paul, man, you know what? He's really affecting our business. Like, he, he's really hurting us. So we got to get together. Because that's essentially what happens. Look at verse 27. How he worries about the trade. And there is danger, not only that this trade of ours, his concern, as we see, is not just something about money. What was at risk for Demetrius was power and control. He uses power and control to gather the people, and he uses manipulation. If you could turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. And this is what we're going to see. This is what the word of the Lord says. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Now, notice it doesn't say 
that money is the root of all evil, but the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Demetrius' love for money led him to be this manipulative, power-controlled person to gather these people in this theater, which actually would hold about 24,000 people. It wasn't a small little riot that happened. For the, the town clerk to come together and tell them, hey, we're in danger of rioting, which is a pretty big thing. Because for a town clerk to lose the control of the city meant the Romans would need to come in and put order back in place. And if order came in place through them, it, it came down. It was going to go down. But we see Demetrius' love for money leading him there. You know, so many times when we talk about the love of money, we think to ourselves that we don't have that problem. You know, I'm going to be very honest with you guys. As I was working through this text and looking at it, I was like, okay, okay, I I see, Lord, what you want to do with this. But there came a moment in time in this text where I told Sergeant, I told Ma, I was like, man, I had to sit down because I realized that I was Demetrius. Because we look at this man starting this riot, getting all worked up, concerned about his business, concerned about his wealth. And I said, wow, that's me. And I sat down. And the aha moment was like, man, is that we can all identify with Demetrius one way or another. Look, 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 look at what Jesus says. I'll, I'll read it to you. And Luke 12, 15, and the New, New Living Translation. Luke 12, 15, this is what he says. Jesus warns, he says, beware. Beware. Guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Jesus warns us to be on guard, to beware of this. Like, hey, watch out for this. Like when you're going down the road and you see the caution sign, you just don't ignore it. You're like, oh, it's going to be okay, you know. Then you see the another sign says, watch out, road out in 15 miles. Don't be surprised when you get to the end of the road and the road is out. The warning was there. We have to be where of being greedy people. And we can all identify with Demetrius. See, either A, we're either trying to always earn money for our own possession to build up our own wealth, or B, we're always worried about money. Investing on our 401k, putting money in our savings account, Thinking about, man, I got to put another $100 in that saving account this week. Thinking about the future. Man, how much money do I have left in that account? Okay, I need, I need, I need to put that money to work. That's me. I'm talking about me now. I'm like, man, for real. When my bank account gets low, man, I worry. I worry. I do. Just because I own a business, don't, I got, I, it means I got bigger bills. And I worry a lot. I worry a whole lot. 
See, that's what I didn't realize when I was reading this, is how much do I spend more time worrying about money and, and, and what I have to pay than what God has promised, that he will supply all our needs. And he always does. But we're worry hounds, don't we? We worry. We worry, we worry so much. You know, we look at the culture in this text of the Greeks. You know, they would you know, actually sacrifice children. And for a long time, people, they, they didn't believe that. But Oxford came out with a paper last year confirming that the Greco-Romans would actually do child sacrifices to their gods. And that blew my mind away. I was like, wow, so this is true. But they would do it because they wanted to sacrifice to the God of fertility so they would get more crops, thus in turn get that money from what they sold from the crops and use it to build their wealth. So they were okay with child child sacrifice. And y'all may not know this, but I'm going to tell y'all, you know, child sacrifice is seen all over in America. Y'all do know that, right? It happens. You know what it looks like now? The kids aren't put to death. The kids are ignored. The parents work so much all the time that they're never present in the lives of their children because they're dealing with deep-rooted issues, deep-rooted idols like security. How much money do we got? How much money do we need to put away? Child sacrifice is seen all over America every day. Because in America, we are workaholics. Yes, we are. Tell me I'm lying. Every time I leave the country and I go to another like third world country, to Mexico, any other country, when you compare how Americans work, Americans are hardworking people. You know why they're hardworking people? Because they're trying to either A, maintain the status quo, or B, trying to keep up with other people. Or even C, just in their mind, trying to make it, but always worrying about the money. But in America, we're workaholics. We work, we work, we work, we work, and we always think about how much we got how much we need, and you know what we sacrifice? And, and, and when I say this, I'm talking about me, y'all, for real. Family time, relationships. If I'm more concerned about meeting a client, and my, my wife, will, man, she's my witness back there. There are times, it's 6 o'clock, hours are closed of business, but I get a phone call as I'm in the truck going home, and I'm in this conversation Everybody's ready to eat dinner, but I'm on the phone talking to this client. Why? It's because I'm greedy. Be honest with you. I'm worried about money from that point. Not trying to earn more possessions, but more, more worried about what I don't got. This, man, I'm saying this thing really, like it, it, like, it hit me in the face. But see, this is how God's word is so transformative. It's so practical. Because God's word is meant to be applied to our lives. This is something that we're dealing with here, family. So look, this is a deep-rooted issue that we deal with. 
most people deal with. And if you can identify, you can say amen or you don't got to say nothing. But your, your friends and family know, don't worry. Security of money. Power. You like to be the one always making decisions and the one always telling people what to do. Control. You always want to have things exactly executed when you want them executed. Success. Ooh, man, that one's hurtful. Who likes to be number two in here? Anybody like to be number two? Mo, don't lie, Mo. (laughs) We all like to be number one. We all do. And when we read this text, we see that we can't identify with Demetrius. He's not some guy in a book about this and that, about some riot that went on. No, let's take God's word and let's apply it to our lives and let's ask ourselves the question, why did Jesus say beware? Why does he give us that warning? Because so easily and so often, mm, we're not on guard. So I want to talk about now how the gospel transforms our hearts. Because the reality is that we can't serve two masters. Either we'll serve God or serve money. We can't serve two masters. Turn with me to Luke chapter 19, being verse 1. Luke 19, verse 1 through 10. This is Jesus entering Jericho. And he entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, not just your average low-level guy. He was the main guy and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not. This man was a hated man. This man was a mobster, if you will, who would take money from his own people, an extortioner. You got to pay me, bro. If you don't, the Romans going to come knocking at your door. You like your legs, like to walk, pay me. Because if you didn't pay him, something bad would happen. Right? He was rich. He wanted to see Jesus. But on account of the crowd, he could not. Also because he was small. But look at this man of nobility. Look at what he does. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree. Man, look, I'm going to tell you something. I work for some pretty rich people. If I were some one of my clients up in a tree, I'd be like, man, what are you doing in that tree? It would look so strange and odd to see someone of position up in a tree looking for someone. Like, what are you doing, bro? You know, into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to that place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down. That's my Jesus voice. For I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. I can just imagine, like, like 
you know, Jesus just saying that, like, hurry, come down. And then him like, man, thank you, Jesus. Like receiving love, right? And when he saw it, and, and, oh, and when they, that's the crowd, saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone to be a guest of a man who's a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Look at the response to Zacchaeus, this, 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 this embrace that he felt from Jesus, him receiving Jesus joyfully. And look at, at a heart that's been transformed by grace. The law of Moses only required that he pay back 20% of what was taken. If anything was stolen, a person needed to pay back 20%. He pays back 300%, fourfold the amount. Why? He was rich. Is that why? Was it because he had a lot of money? It was because the transforming work of grace that took place. Since he also is a son of Abraham, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. That's us. Hallelujah. This is the transforming work of God's grace in a person's heart. When we see someone who struggles with the idol of of, of control and power and they find security in money, the answer and solution is, oh, you need to destroy that. The answer and solution cannot be found in yourself. If you could, you could do it without Jesus. But we can do nothing without Jesus. So what we do in those moments of, of when we recognize that we have become power hungry or want to be in control all the time, we need to be around brothers and sisters in community that can point us back to Christ. My brothers have told me openly, hey, brother, you're struggling with control, struggling with power, you're struggling with unbelief, and I appreciate that. I need to hear that. I need to beware of all kinds of greed. I can't do it alone. When I recognize I've been acting that way, I go to the Lord, I said, Lord, help me, Lord. But notice that that we're so blinded by greed and the love of money at times that we don't want to think we have that problem. And we have to be real critical, family, and think to ourselves, why does Jesus tell us to beware of this? When a heart's changed by grace, like Zacchaeus, money becomes valueless. The treasures of this world mean nothing. And I love what Paul says in Philippians 3, verse 7 through 8. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the passing worth of knowing Christ, Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, 
I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Jesus is better. Listen, family, everything that you put your trust and hope in this world, your job, your security, whatever it is that you're tr- in success in your career, it's all meaningless. You know why? That's, that's what Solomon said. He was the richest, most powerful man, had everything. And at the end of his life, he said it was meaningless. Why? Because this world holds no hope for us. We love to store up our treasures on this world, thinking that we can take our money with us. We can't. But when we encounter the living Christ, because he comes to us and he he changes us, he conforms us more into his son. When he does that work of grace in our heart for us to realize, man, like, man, I've been trusting in myself, my business for security, but man, I, I, I have nothing in that. I've been, I've, been, I've been trying to save away money to protect myself just in case something happens. I worry about all these problems, all these things all the time. But when we're reminded of the work of grace that Jesus did for us, who was rich but became poor for us, that we might be rich. He didn't give 10% of himself. He gave all of himself. He didn't shed some of his blood on the cross. He shed all his blood on the cross. He died for us. The life we now live, we live by faith and the son of God who loved you. He loved you and gave himself for you. We are new creations in Christ. Though we struggle with ongoing sin, we know that our Savior, our King, and our Lord died for us while we were sinners, without any hope. And for us who struggle with power and control and success, we worship something daily that ain't Jesus. We need to turn away and trust in the Lord that only he can provide what no one else can provide. Let's pray.